if you could go back and do college again and major in something else other than hmm. what you majored in. What uh, did you major in in college, by the way? Oh, <laughs> music. Really? Yeah. Oh, I knew that. Yes. Yes, I did. I would definitely redo that. <laughs> but Not just a bad life choice? <laughs> right. Well, I think I would choose... You know, I should say history because I ended up being a historian, but mm -hmm. I think I would choose journalism, another really thriving um, industry. <laughs> Welcome to Weird Religion, the podcast for people who know religion is weird, but love it anyway. I'm Brian Doak. I'm Leah Payne. And Leah knows how to pick a major. You I know? do. I do. Music, what about you? journalism. Yeah. Two, two thriving industries. Um, You know, I, I would have, I sort of, I sort of had a love affair with philosophy. Like I oh, was I back in totally the old Barnes that. and Noble, back in the old Borders bookstore with the coffee shop attached. I love that model of a I, bookstore, by the way. I can just picture you in, did you wear all black? Like kind of have, I can picture totally and never just stopped existentialist Brian. Yeah, just still going strong. <laughs> Everything's absurd. Absolutely going strong. Never yes. stop. Never I could, stop. I could see philosopher Brian for uh, sure. You know, one reason, and this is something I truly have discovered that I really do love. And I don't even have to be a philosophy major. I love thought experiments. Oh, okay. I, and that's the thought experiment is one venerable form of philosophy mm -hmm. because it allows, I love analogies, I love metaphors, I love thought experiments. And I, I, I heard of a new one recently, new to me, very old actually. Okay. Um, some listeners may know about it. Some may not that I wanted to tell you about. Oh, okay. Can I now tell you I'm, you know, thought experiments are a little hard for me. You're going to have to walk me through it because they're sort of like story problems to me. I get a little yeah. lost. Yeah, that's so right. So you might okay. have to go back a couple of times. I, oh, you're just, you're being coy here, but I think, <laughs> I think you're going to nail this one. Okay. This is called popularly the paperclip thought experiment or the paperclip maximizer hmm. thought experiment. Okay. It was first issued, at least in that format, by someone named Nick Bostrom from Oxford University. He's a philosopher there. Okay. It was in an essay called Ethical Issues in Advanced Artificial Intelligence. Ooh. Wait, where is it? There we go. Okay. So, you know, thus our topic of the day. AI doom. Is it shocking that we have not really talked about AI so much this we spring? We haven't the chat talked thing about it major. as much as I would have thought we would. Probably I, because we were just doing our school year thing. Yeah. And that involved, you know, thinking about AI. And I then know. somehow it just didn't make it into. This is sort of our passion project for for all y'all. This AI, is our fun time. Yeah. This is not. <laughs> we're not trying to. We're not trying to run where everyone else is running. Okay. That's Straight right. to the AI chatbot. You know. Although craze. everyone in our industry is talking about it. I know. It's a big deal. We're a little bit late, but actually, yes. I, I think there are some things that people listening today won't have thought about. Um, interestingly, so I'm going to try mm -hmm. to offer them. But the paperclip maximizer experiment goes like this. I think you're going to get this. I think you're going to get okay. it so hard. It's like, what if we had an AI machine, let's say, or we develop these AI robots, and they're like. Hello, Master, Leah, what should we do? Right. And you say, you know what we really need in this world? Paperclips. Some really good paperclips. Oh, and I really like paperclips. And they're you're like, thanks, got it. Got it. Bye. And you're like, wow, that was nice. And now machine goes to make paperclips mm -hmm. because that's what it wants. Mm -hmm. But it, let's say in this experiment, though, and this is really the thing to think about in terms of the AI doom scenarios that are that are our topic today, the machine it just, you know, these are very dedicated machines. Mm -hmm. They're very loyal. They're like the most loyal of puppies. Right. And how maybe you praise your puppy. You still got a puppy running around, don't you? In that um, backyard like yours? a 15 year old puppy. That yes. old, old dog. Yes. And let's say that old dog, he, he knows that you really love it when you like bring him a stick. She, but yes. She, she mm -hmm. really loves it when you bring, when, you know, when you bring Moxie. Yep. Moxie loves That's that. That's my dog. But now it's like two sticks and you're like, thanks. Okay. 
And, that, and then it's like 10 sticks. And you're mm-hmm. like, okay, I don't want the mm-hmm. sticks. You wake up in the morning and every stick has been gathered in place. That's right. So right. the idea behind the AI is that if you tell it to make paper clips, it starts making paper clips. It goes into its production process. But then it could like deplete the world of all of the resources yeah. that are required yeah, to that's make paper right. clips. Yeah. And mm-hmm. so the world ends because a machine misunderstood that all we wanted were paper clips when really or we just wanted a lot. Right. It didn't understand what enough. And now it's like extracting even the metals from our bodies. Mm-hmm. This sounds Every like a form of metal black mirror episode for sure. Totally. So that's the, pa- that I think is the paperclip maximizer okay. thought experiment, but it, it brings me to an article by a, a time magazine piece that was published just a little, little while ago. And I was chatting with you beforehand and you said you had read this. Mm-hmm. Had you read this? The, well, the you, Eliezer you told me about it oh, and, yeah. and I read it and it was sort of like a car crash where you can't look away. Oh yeah. It's a pretty striking article. But you you looked at the car crash. What did you what did you see? Um essentially it was so I think I I get a little nervous when scholars get um uh excited or scared mm-hmm. of something because we're so trained to hedge our bets to be um you know to be circumspect. Mm-hmm. And this is an article written by a knowledgeable figure in the AI world who essentially says that artificial intelligence as it exists now and is being developed now represents an existential threat to human existence. Did I summarize that? I think you did. I mean, that's my understanding. And it was freaky. He goes, I mean, he goes pretty far. I'm reading from the article. This is Eliezer Yudkowsky in Time Magazine. Um, You know, he basically says the most likely outcome, unless we prepare for this absolutely perfectly which mm-hmm. we won't right ai does not do what we want and doesn't care for us nor sentient life in general mm. and because we don't even know how to do this what's going to happen and this is the takeaway line if somebody builds a too powerful ai under present conditions i expect that every single member of the human species and all biological life on earth dies shortly thereafter Whew. he's like there's no other way this could go which has, you know, these <laughs> kinds of statements have triggered a lot of people to really panic about this. Right. Because if that's true, and if we're in the early then stages of that. what the heck that, are we doing? Then what are we doing? Like, what are we doing? Are we just like literally preparing? I mean, how worried do you feel on a scale of like zero to 10? Well, you know, like okay. This is really real. It's hard right now because I have small children who take up a lot of time. And so that's the comfort of that is I don't have time to just, mm. I don't. I don't have philosopher time to sit and be scared about, you know, certain things because right. I've got immediate issues right. you know, to manage. But I will say, I'll tell you one thing that freaked me out a little bit about it. A, a, after I read this article, knowing that we were going to have this talk, someone nonchalantly posted an AI generated beer commercial. Okay. Let me show it to you. Okay. Okay. Flipping so here's an AI generated beer commercial available on TikTok. All right. I'm going to turn the volume up. Okay. Ready? Oh, yes. There we go. Here it is. Okay. Smash mouth. Okay. Smash mouth. People are having fun. People are hanging out. Yep. A little bit distorted bodies. Yep. Weird, weird deployment of beer. Oh, what is she doing? She's like. Someone started like making out with a beer can. Oh, my gosh. There's fire in the background. Everyone's on fire? Somebody's being. Lit on fire. Maybe two what? guys are drinking out of the oh, same wow. can. Oh, wow. That is weird. Okay. So, oh, wow. That was, okay. that was, that was a little, a little weird. That was a little weird. It was a little weird, but I'll just say that. It was funny, but it was kind of like. Well, the first version that somebody said, 
it was, people were laughing like, ha, 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 AI still has a ways to go. But yeah. my thought was, wait a second. That's it already got there? Come. Yes. So actually that, that yeah. made me a little bit concerned because all you would have to do is tweak that just a little bit. And then we would have all the beer commercials we could handle in this world, which maybe that doesn't sound <laughs> all that threatening. But what are other things that a an artificial intelligence, I don't even know, program, being, thing, yeah. could be doing? Yeah. I mean, to me, that seemed like pretty fast learning. One of my favorite um, blogs that I do follow, it's called Shtetl Optimize. Scott mm-hmm. Aronson's a computer scientist at UT Austin. Okay. And one of his posts, he posts about AI. And I think he works for OpenAI. So oh. he obviously has a little bit of a vested... Um, interest in this. Okay. Um, he points out, you know, there's this kind of like way of, you know, often I've heard this associated with politics, like taking your enemy's thing and saying, look at how stupid and ineffective their thing is, while at the same time turning around and saying, it is an existential threat to our very right. existence on earth. Right, right, right. So you get this, <laughs> you get a similar kind of, of, of paradox or contradiction with AI fears. So on the one hand, people are like chat GPT, LOL, you can't even get it to cite a paper properly. Right. It, this is my favorite thing people say about chat GPT, which I say favorite because, well, I'll tell you why. It's, I'm being sarcastic. Warning. My favorite thing people say about chat GPT is like, the way it writes is so boring. It's so derivative. First of all, I turn to you, whoever says that. <gasps> are you like a truly creative writer? Right. Are right. you? Are you? Every, okay. Every Maybe you most are. writing is very right? derivative. Here's another thing we know, and this is a sad, a sad, um, a sad little check-in on America's literacy rates. The average American literacy rate is a sixth grade reading level and mm-hmm. writing level. Sixth mm-hmm. grade. Mm-hmm. Sixth grade. We know this. So, like, if it writes better than that, and if it's, it's just as good as you or better, pretty good. Don't sit. Don't criticize it for being derivative or boring. Like I'm, criti- I'm boring and derivative. Like so. There's that, but also. Okay, so the application is like people are like, on the one hand, oh, it's so boring, it's stupid. Then on the other hand, no, it's going to destroy all civilization. I'm not saying something couldn't be stupid yet powerful, but like I, I see those fears as not totally compatible. Well, here's other. one question that I have about AI, which is something that we've talked about on this show before, which the principle of the uncanny valley, mm-hmm. where people historically have been a little turned off. I mean, it's like a... The idea is that if you were to see a robot that looked a little bit too human or even a um, a laptop that was shaped a little bit too much like a human head, it would freak right. you out a little bit right. because there's a sort of gut reaction yeah. against it. But one thing that made me a little bit that, that was sort of counterpoint to that when it comes to AI was just recently. Now, this was a huge deal because, as you know, I'm finishing up a book on um, the music business or a a subsect of the music business. Um, did you see in the news, I think it just was over the last week, that there was a an AI single oh. made in the style of Drake and The Weeknd. Yes. Um, a, a single called Heart on My Sleeve mm-hmm. that sounded good enough to everybody, did not raise any red flags, no Uncanny Valley disgust Wasn't feeling. so derivative that it you couldn't imagine. It shot up the charts, and the only reason why it didn't land on radio and have a sustained pathway on iTunes, et cetera, was because record companies shut it down legally. So they, they got it deplatformed oh, from all the major platforms. Well, if you know anything about the story of, of the music scene, that is not a long-term strategy. They're in trouble. Yes. Yeah, so in the music world, there's, there's talk that it could do to the music industry what the internet did 
just a couple of decades ago. But I think it would be more devastating because they're taking the human element out of it potentially. But then the other counterpoint to this, and I want to ask you about this. So weird. Is the only reason why people were excited. I mean, I don't know if this is a reason why people were excited about it. Is because it was attached to a brand that they already recognized. Real people. Right. So it was Drake and The Weeknd. You had to know who these people are to actually really get into it. And my thought is, say someone says, I'm going to write this in the style of, um, I don't know, who's your favorite writer? Sartre. No, just kidding. I was going with the existentialist theme. But um, like, say you would kind of need... Uh, a real brand. What would really be scary is if a book or a hit came out that was just its own, its own thing. And people liked it. People liked me for me, the, mm-hmm. the AI for the AI. Well, you know, this, this brought me to a tried and true weird religion theme, even from season one, even our very first episode, which I think was a black mirror themed episode. Mm, that's back right. In the day. That's right. That was a really good about, you know, these, these fears about resurrection, that Mm -hmm. maybe resurrection is real, but it goes in a way that you don't intend. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. here's a resurrection fear. What if, if this stuff gets good enough? And if I'm taking your insight that it being connected to a real person is a big deal. What if we just start getting like new Nirvana hits? (gasps) You know what I mean? (laughs) My nineties heart. I did not. I I didn't like that. I see blood coming through Leah's shirt. Um, um, but like, no, you know, yes, just I know new what hits, you're new, new Tupac hits, <gasps> just all new, new, new Beethoven, new Mozart music. Like, and it's, but it's, but it's trained on those things. I wonder how that's going to go. Well, what if you could get new scripture Bible guy? What if you could just say, yeah, in the style in of the style, revelation, just like new stories that are compelling, like old testamenty stories, sprawling narratives about Kings with odd details that serve no purpose for the plot. And you're supposed to get something out of it. <laughs> Um, I I do wonder, you know, what the the implications of that would be for our religious life. What if it was prophecy? What if you could, what if AI could do some sort of, yeah. you know, mathematical, they could probably, you could see how you could make pretty accurate predictions about well, the future. Well, well. And put that, a God sheen on the top of it. On that note, mm-hmm. let's take this deep into... The Weird Religion Zone. Nice. Please do. It's not really a segment on the show. I just made that up. <laughs> <laughs> the Weird Religion Zone. Um, so here's a tweet that a uh, friend of the show had sent to me over text some time ago that I've, I've treasured for just such a moment as this. Oh, boy. Not the way that the author of Esther meant that phrase to be used, but <laughs> um, <laughs> here we are. Um, it's a secular world. Um, Michael Levin is a scientist at Tufts. I used to live, fun fact, I used to live a stone's throw from Tufts University. Did you really? Yeah, Somerville, Massachusetts. Interesting. Mm -hmm. Maybe I saw Michael Levin there. He looks a little too young for that. Um, Hard to say. Mm -hmm. Anyway, anyway, his lab studies anatomical and behavioral decision making at multiple scales of biological, artificial, and hybrid systems, says his Twitter profile. Wow. He tweeted this out recently. Listen to this. One way to think about AI even current AI with its limitations and impending ubiquity. It's like we've discovered a new life form on earth. It's been all around us, but undetectable. It's quite alien, but it has some high competencies in many unknown behaviors. Just now for the first time, however, we've learned how to communicate with it. Of course, everything changes. It's a parallel ecosystem, Mm. like a shadow world of cognition next to our familiar terrestrial tree of life. 
we can impact this ecosystem, make changes, do selective breeding and engineering, da da da, and walk that dangerous, exhilarating path that weaves between rational understanding and being surprised by emergent outcomes. Its dynamics impact our world strongly too. All the same bi-directional questions about risk, ethical behaviors, etc. abound. But take that just idea that just that idea that this is like it's like a shadow world that's always existed and now we're first learning how to communicate mm -hmm. with it. It's always been there. Now, he's he's definitely talking about overcoming the uncanny valley, mm -hmm. almost like intellectually mm -hmm. or spiritually inside. He's like making a leap, almost like suggesting it sounds like it's not even something that we created. Oh, that's so fascinating. But that we're discovering it, that it always existed. What does that even mean? So it's like math, like we didn't create like... I wonder if that's what he's saying, that there was always capacity to do this. Because I think most of us think, at least I'll just speak for myself, mm -hmm. I tend to think about something like AI, that there could have been another version of this world where someone didn't think of it, mm -hmm. and we didn't have it, mm -hmm. and but we live in this world. But he seems to be suggesting that this was, I'm interpreting yeah. your representation of his words. Well, he does. Someone asked him on the Twitter thread, is your reflection also a life form? And he says, I didn't say AI is a life form. I said one way to think about it and its effects and how to relate to it as if. Also, the analogy between AI and one-to-one -one reflection is lacking a predictive constructive power. I doubt it's a very good analogy. I don't quite know what that means. But he backs away from Oh, okay. He, he seems to back away, but he says it's, it's like an analogy. And then someone says, it's not alive, so it's not a good way to think about AI. So, you know, people will kind of react against it. It just raised the spookiness factor and mm -hmm. reminded me, mm -hmm. and reminded me of one of my favorite UFO theories I've read about recently. Oh, I, you know, I love to hear about I had to. I had to just make this bridge. I'm sorry. I apologize. And yet I don't apologize. Here nope, it is. Never so apologize. One of the that. great figures in kind of like the grandfather of modern UFO UAP studies is a mm -hmm. guy named Jacques Vallée. Mm -hmm. Jacques Vallée is a French philosopher and computer scientist. Okay. He's one of the most respected figures. Yes. Um, have you ever seen Close Encounters of the Third Kind? Oh, how can Spielberg? you even ask me that? Okay, of course. Okay, okay, okay. Of course. <laughs> um, do you know how they're, I haven't seen it in a long time, but there's, there's kind of like a, there's like a scientist philosopher figure in there mm -hmm. that was based on Jacques Vallée. Oh, life. really? Yeah. Oh, fun. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so that's interesting. He was, he's been known for a long time. Okay. One of his key theories, and I'm actually reading Jacques Vallée's book, Messengers of Deception, right now. Mm -hmm. One of his key theories that he's had, and it's it's a little bit, I find it to be disturbing potentially, um, and it's harder to wrap the mind around, is that UFOs, UAP, whatever you want to call them, they're actually not from another planet. Mm. But from th they're from here. They're from us. They're from this world. I absolutely love this theory, and I'll tell you why. <laughs> yes, tell me. Um, because I loved the show Fringe. Did you ever watch Fringe? Uh, some is it that one that had like a cranky old guy, and it was uh, some, his dad. Like, yes, somebody's yes, yes, dad. Yes, yes. And I've it seen some episodes. It was an but, excellent show, yeah, and there's yeah. a joke in Parks and Rec where they talk. One of the main characters talks about spending the weekend going back and watching Fringe and looking for plot holes and spoiler alert. There were none because it's such a tight show. I love that really? show. But where do you stream Fringe nowadays? I don't Maybe know. I, I would guess Hulu because Fringe anyhow, streaming. I love that show, but it is based right. on the premise. HBO Max maybe? Maybe. Okay, anyway. But there's this idea that they're, they're playing with the idea of multiple um, versions of mm -hmm. reality mm -hmm. and Fringe is Fringe science. So there are these yes. people who are engaged in this. And the and really the idea that what we think of as alien life forms may not be that it may be different versions mm -hmm. of ourselves of our reality. 
So I just, I enjoy that thought. Yeah. Um, It's a fascinating, because almost all of the thought process is all about outer space. Mm, When mm -hmm. you go to that kind of stuff. Or even spirituality, I think... I think like, you know, if you're, if you grew up in like Sunday school and you're a good Christian girl or boy, like you yes. understand the idea, like intellectually, the idea that like God is not out there in outer space. God's in your heart or God's with us or God's right, in the trees right. or a beautiful birth mm-hmm. of a baby or, you know, whatever. Right. But like, it's still hard. I think even for people who are very sort of sophisticated adults, religious people to, th- to not, to, to not think about like an idea like heaven is like it's up it's above us it's like in some other place right as opposed to being like overlapped completely on our world as it is now and you wouldn't go anywhere but it's to be discovered you know like that it's Uh that it's that kind of idea yeah that's pretty scary yes yeah it's a little that makes that makes heaven a little bit scary in a way it would make hell scary Yes. I don't know that that's bad. I mean, that's kind of, I, yes. Or maybe scary isn't quite the word. You could put awe in there yeah. to use a more sort of theological you mean that it, it, rendering. It, it, it offers more awe to the idea of heaven Perhaps. or hell or it does not offer more awe. Or I mean, something that you could think of like, wow, that sounds scary. You could also say, oh, or oh, wow, that is, yeah, yeah. that makes me feel awe. That's yeah. kind of the kind of scared. Like you're surrounded by the divine. Mm-hmm. I don't know. At all times. It sounds like a very mystical idea. I know. I, I really, yeah, th- that's, it's interesting to put AI in that category because I make it such an anthrocentric thing and I find it to be disturbing because I see what humans, maybe this is me being sort of the traditional academic where you're a little bit pessimistic most of the time. Sure. And so you see innovation and also Good for you. Good for you. That's, that's yes. exactly how you should be. You see innovation. You see. You tend to see the downside. You've seen the downside in the past. Right. But it doesn't have to be a downside thing. No, absolutely not. I think my here's my pessimism that comes out. Um, this is very Gen X. This feels like a Gen X pessimism moment. We were born for these we times. Were, I was born to say this very thing, which <laughs> is I think my biggest fear about about maybe even the great discoveries that could come with AI or even the UFO thing is that Mm -hmm. really it's just, we're never going to discover it. Like the UFO thing. This is, this is my, Oh, poor you. I know exactly where you're going. If UFOs are real, here is what I actually, if they are, and if I believed in them, here's, here would be my leading theory. Our government has uncovered some exotic objects. We have some things on film that they've never shown people that are clearly like smoking guns. Uh huh. And we've had them for maybe like 70 years, 60, 70 years. And guess what? We have learned not one thing about them. We, mm. know, we, we have no clue. Mm-hmm. We have reverse engineered absolutely nothing. Mm-hmm. We have like twisted pieces of their metal that like levitate and stuff. And we've had our best scientists and secret people working on it for decades. And they have no clue how it's done. And, they, mm-hmm. and we never will. Mm-hmm. And that's just it. Um, well, this is really sad for you. Um, so <laughs> listeners, listeners, <laughs> you need to know that I don't know any person who wants to know about UFOs more than Dr. Brian I Doak. think you got to get out a little bit more. He wants to believe. You'll find. Well, I mean, I've met people who I'm, okay, I have no friend that wants to know more. It's an earnest I'm like desire. everybody's only UFO friend. I Why is that? I feel sorry for you because I'm so cynical. I'm always like, too. well, I don't, I'm always like, you know, we're probably not going to find anything new, but you have this hope. It's a beautiful thing. Don't give up the hope. Well, because things happen suddenly in the world. Suddenly a it's thing true. that didn't exist suddenly does exist. It's true. Um, I mean, and I think that's what that's what has been so exciting about like say ChatGPT or yes. GPT-4. When all this came up, I mean, it was the fastest fastest startup ever to hit 
1 million, 10 million, 100 mm-hmm. million, whatever mm-hmm. billion users. And it really has kind of come out of nowhere. Of course, there's always some tech person, usually a bro. So I'll say tech bro in the background <laughs> saying, well, we've had AI doing blah, blah, blah for years. It's like, yeah, shut up. Probably. 99% of us didn't know about it. So let us have our joy. It's truly stunning. It's truly amazing what it can do. And it came out of nowhere and it's become essentially the major talk, you know, about everything just out of nowhere. Well, one of the things that I'm excited to learn is that inevitably religious innovators are going to explore this world. Oh yeah. Slash exploit slash get excited about. It's going to be, there There will be a flurry. If there's one thing you can be sure of, there will be a flurry of religious responses to this. Absolutely. And some of them will be dismissed as wacky quackery, but right. some of them will be extremely powerful and persuasive to people. And right. so we've only seen the beginning of this. I think, you know, in the in the venerable genre, which we've seen on the news and podcasts, people have done this to death. But in the spirit of like, why haven't we done this genre to death? You know, like actually using chat to like generate something. Right. I have pulled up chat in the background here. Oh, you did? Chat. Yeah. I, I'm like, write me a sermon about UFOs. Oh, yes. <laughs> like, write me a sermon. Go I, for I it. I should have actually said, write me a Christian sermon. But actually, the sermon it's writing is already quoting a psalm. Oh, Okay. So like, How does it start? you know, like dear friends, you know, let's talk about this topic that's been captivating us, even ridicule as a spiritual leader. We have to approach this with an open mind. That's not a very good sermon right away, right there. Okay. Um, and an attitude of curiosity. <laughs> You're like, wonder. Trust me, that's <laughs> not going to go over well. After all, we've always been fascinated by mysteries beyond us. Mm-hmm. As the psalmist mm-hmm. says, Psalm eight, when I consider your heavens, the oh, work of your fingers, I love that song. the moon and the stars, which you have set in place. What is humankind what is that, that you are mindful, mindful of them? Of them. Yeah, Human that's beings good. that you care from them. What a great verse. That's what a beautiful, a great, beautiful, beautiful verse. And so even quotes John 14, six, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth and the life. Um, I don't know how you're going to tie that in, but our sure. faith and our relationship with God are the foundations of our lives and they sustain us in the midst of the unknown. So it's okay. more like an appeal to the unknown. Like, don't worry about it. Um, so anyway, my point was going to be not only just spiritual entrepreneurs, I think your average workaday Christian pastor can, you can get like a good outline. Mm-hmm. You wouldn't use it necessarily, mm-hmm. um, but you could use it as an outline to kind of get you where you wanted to go. Um, I, so that's one. I think that's a very practical thing that like, religious professionals should be doing, could be doing with it. What this helps? is only the beginning. This is only the beginning. <laughs> I feel. How far know, do you think it could go? How, how far what? How far, no. how far could, how far could spiritual entrepreneurs take this? Oh, I don't even know because I, I know for sure, you know, any, anytime there's a moment of unrest or innovation, there are religious responses to that. Mm-hmm. And so I just think of, you know, I th- we've talked before that there's a lot of work that uh, scholarly work that's been done about UFO religions. Yeah. And so AI religions. Is oh, yeah. Definitely. Get those AAR panels, American <laughs> Academy of Religion panels up there. You know um, it. Get I it. think one, okay, one movie that I used to like a lot that no one that I ever made watched this movie, and I did make a bunch of people watch it, none of them liked it, was the older 1990s hit, the movie AI. Have oh, you? with Hallie, Haley, Hallie yeah, Joel yeah, yeah. Osment. With Haley Joel Osment. Um, I, two, I, I said that. 1990s. It was 2001. 2001. Yeah, I did it not. Was, I was not. It was it. finished by Steven Spielberg, um, famously. Mm-hmm. Um, and the part of it that I could see this going in terms of of religious reactions. There's a famous scene in this. Maybe we could put a put a link to it where there's a speech given where they are 
Um, um, oh, here. Goodbye, David. So there's a there's a speech or there's a scene in, in AI where they basically trot out the AI bots. I've got it playing no in the background here. And I'm just gonna skip around and it to get to the good parts. It's like this carnival scene where they're like crushing the robots in front of people. Ew. And they're killing them. Yes. I could see it go in that direction. Where oh. basically, in other words, the Yudkowskis of the world convince us that what we need is legislation. We need to get rid of this. And if our government fails to deal with it, you could have an, uh, our, our, our awe at chat GPT could turn into real like actual violence. And actually Yudkowsky suggests in his Time Magazine article that rogue AI developers should actually be stopped by force, even through like bombings if necessary. See that. I don't even know what to say. That's heavy. That's heavy. I thought you were going to bring up. There was a, there was a show or a film Bicentennial man. Do you remember that with Robin Williams where he plays a robot? Yeah. And it has sort of a saddish ending where the robot dies, but it sort of brings up this question, but there was no violence. I don't remember there being scenes of crushing violence. What are we going to do for the kids at home? I feel like we've talked ourselves into a depression. Here. <laughs> Let's just leave it at that. This has been a production of Weird Religion. A podcast for people who know religion is weird but love it anyway. Follow us on Twitter or Instagram. Follow us into the ocean. Allow your heart to blossom. Retreat into the gorgeous and haunted forests of your mind. Find us there.